Pugs, episode four. Um, we are here with Tom and John again. Uh, woo! Happy for John for being alive. Uh, Tom is back with us. Um, he doesn't have to cover the desk today, so that worked out well. Ben's here with this protein shake. I'm here with my little tiny anorexic dog at my feet. Um, we're going to have Tom lead the discussion off today. We're going to talk about uh, training mostly and something that Tom put on his story um, kind of inspired us a little bit. So I will uh, stop wasting your time and let Tom talk about what he was talking about earlier. So basically, um, I had this client who was um, doing lying in hamstring curls and he was um, rebounding off the top of the movement. You know how some people kind of launch the movement, kind of bounce off their butt and it bounces back a little bit before they start controlling the negative. So I was just giving him a little bit of critique on that. And then I was starting to think to myself, I was like, you know, not a lot of coaches in this industry um, cover training as well. It's mainly just diet and drugs. Um, and that's like a large majority of like the coaches out there don't really go into the finer intricate details of like asking client for training videos or um, covering different aspects in terms of that or even programming uh, training in general. So um, I think a, all of us kind of agree that, you know, training is an important part to cover um, in a client's process. And it's something that we should all uh, be trying to focus in on and trying to get clients to send us videos, trying to get people <laughs> on like sort of like the same kind of trajectory that we are trying to get them on in terms of intensity, in terms of execution, and all these different factors. So what are your guys' opinions on like different coaches in the industry, um, different kind of methods of, do you think it's important that coaches focus on training or do you think we should just be focusing on diet and pharmacology? Uh, I'll jump into that one. Uh, well, yeah, I am back. Definitely not 100%. I think Ben saw me yesterday about to throw up at um, MI40. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if that was a combination of re remaining COVID symptoms or trying to slam 400 milligrams of caffeine pre-workout um, for my first session back in the gym. Mark, um, Mark. Yeah, I'm going to go with the pre-workout. That was yeah. Uh, I woke up after sleeping 12 hours a day and was like, oh, okay, wow, I don't feel like crap. So probably the pre-workout. But um, yeah, we're still going to – I'm going to take two more rest days. That will be about actually close to 14 days um, completely since uh, Andrea decided to screw me there. <laughs> um, coincidentally, I had a client come down for the Tampa Pro, and I peeked him from my couch because I could not go to the show. So that was awesome. Um. Yeah. So as far as like philosophy and like where that aligns, I think so much of this also is dependent on the clientele you're working with. Right. Because like, so um, I'm sure most of you just saw, I took on Blanca who's getting ready for Daytona comes from my powerlifting background. And I'm pretty set in my philosophies of like, what training is, and a lot of that just aligns with training hard, which all of you have seen her. We all know she trains hard, right? Um, no one would question that. Now, would it align with potentially maybe aligning to actually enhance or improve the lacking areas in your physique? Maybe not, because Blanca doesn't need a huge chest. But one of the first sticking points was like, I need to have some type of barbell in my hands. And I was like, okay, let's compromise, right? Because now on the other hand, Jensen, when you first got into this, right, and you were working with some other coaches, 
they probably could have told you something completely wrong, but you were so new that you were like, okay, yeah, let's do that. So I think a lot of that has to start with the clientele you're working with. Cause for instance, like, and we'll just use the example. We all saw Tampa pro and how Ben kind of worked like 80% with Hunter Labrada in terms of like his actual programming. And then he was like, listen, you've gotten this far on your own. Why would I just come over and, and take everything over? And then we noticed it was like, once he fully gave the reins over, I mean, everyone had the chance to see Hunter in person, I'm going to assume. And it was freaky, right? So um, for the most part, I would say with where we're all at within our coaching, we probably should be handling training for the majority of the athletes we're working with um, and definitely reviewing videos. I don't think that anyone that I'm working with yet, and I do have pros on my team, are at the point where I'm just like, yeah, you don't need to send me training videos. It doesn't matter. So... That's kind of where I'm at. I don't know where you guys are at. I can hop in real quick. With with the training video specifically, I'll start there. Yeah, what, what I do is kind of a little bit ridiculous with how much training footage I have not send me in the beginning, but I kind of put the caveat of, hey, if this interrupts your workout, then don't worry about it quite as much. You can send stuff later. But in a perfect world, I like to have the top set of every single exercise that someone is doing um, especially the ones that they've never done before for the training plan that I give them. I have them send that for the first week. And then after they have, I'm not going to say mastered a movement, but once they've gotten it to a level where they can do it hard, they can do it with a good tempo, they can do it with a safe form, and they can feel the muscle that they're aiming to bias with that exercise well and do that consistently. I don't have them consistently send that exercise anymore unless it's one of the more um, – Safety concerning um, or just very important movements within their training program. Obviously, it's not like one single movement is going to build your hamstrings or glutes or erectors. But for one example, I will have most of my clients send me their primary hip hinge every single week so that I can stay very on top of it. Make sure that as they're working to progress the reps or the weight or the tempo or the bias every week that they are not letting um, form fall off within that. Um, I do think sometimes our clients who like to push the limits as far as the weights or reps go, which is a good thing. You just have to use them in the right way. I think a lot of them tend to, if they're not having a watchful eye on them, fall off with the form a little bit so they can just keep making those progressions. And one harsh truth is that unless you're adding in something additional that's going to keep enhancing training performance in a linear fashion, which would be hard to do on purpose or accident for a long time, the, the reps and the weight additions will start to go down over time. And I think it's important to have a coach looking at your stuff that's going to say, hey, we're still making progress in this manner, or hey, we're not. You know, We've stagnated here for this many weeks, even after a deload and refeed. You know, maybe we should swap movements. Maybe we should uh, reduce the number of working sets and or intensifiers um, either overall or for just that movement or for that training section. There's a lot of different things you can play around with, but I'm very, very much of the belief that a coach should be addressing uh, training through training footage, but also asking them subjective things that they feel because we all know from our years of training and you're going to feel things that you can't see just from someone watching a video. When I'm watching uh, one of my female clients who needs to build their glutes do dumbbell RDLs, 
I can't look at that video and say, oh, yeah, you're really, really working your glute max here. I can look at certain parts of the video where I'm like, okay, they're getting a good glute max squeeze at the top, but I think they're getting a good stretch at the bottom just by watching the video. Those are things that even though newer clients aren't going to really understand them, let alone be, be able to express them in a useful way to you. As they get better with their training or as they become someone more advanced or if they're already starting off more advanced, you should take more of that into account. And I think that's where the area of, if you want to call them advanced trainees, giving them a little bit more freedom comes into play. But how I balance that out is I just ask. I just ask because most of my more advanced people are the ones who love to give me more information rather than less. Um, could be a chicken and egg type thing. You know, I mean, it helps your coach if they're giving you more info and, and your coach can give you back more info and your training gets better. But um, yeah, that was, that was my main thing there is you got to balance the ability for them to understand their body with them understanding that the coach is giving you the things that they're giving you for a reason. So, but any, any good coach is going to be open to changing stuff, but it has to be for the right reasons. I guess that's my overall take on, on that in my addition to what he started us off with. Well, there's not much left for me to say. <laughs> there's a lot, asshole. We'll just end the podcast now. Good talking, you guys. Yeah, no, I have nothing to add. I mean, you have to – you definitely need to watch their training. Most of the time, they're either not training hard enough or not training the right way or both. Um, a lot of both. Yeah. Yeah, you got to make sure they're they're not going too hard, too, if they're four weeks out. You know, I like to ask for videos when they're getting closer to a show just to sort of judge how hard they're training. Because, uh, you know, you'll have people either train harder when they're closer to a show because they're fucking neurotic, like probably all of us, or they'll drop off because they're tired. And then I got to be like, hey, you know, you had more in there. I know you're tired, but let's do a little more here. We got four weeks left. Um yeah, that's really all I have to add. Everything else pretty much was touched on. Take us away, Tom. Um, so as far as what I do, um, I take videos, uh, or at least I ask clients for videos of their main compound movements, mainly first. And if they're not performing those with like some type of proficiency, then I'll probably dig deeper. But from those baseline videos, I can kind of get a gauge of intensity and how um, how well they're comprehending at least uh, the movement patterns and um, like sort of like coordination and all those different factors. But that's mainly how I do it. If things are getting a little bit, um, you know, a little bit loose with form or a little bit, um, they're not training too hard at failure, leaving 10 reps in reserve or whatever, then I'll probably ask for um, some deeper videos in terms of like, hey, maybe let's take a look at this lateral raise. Let's take a look at this single arm pull down. Let's uh, take a look at these little tinier movements and see what we could do better with those too. Yeah. And I think in the beginning too, it's like some people are going to have to, I mean, everyone, everyone, everyone in the very beginning has to learn how to do things safe. And then you can learn how to do it where you're feeling it the right way and still keeping it safe. And then from there is probably the best time to really start pushing the intensity. But it doesn't always come to you that easy. It's funny people that have shit form, aren't using tempo, don't know where to feel it, but they have the intensity. And one thing, I was trying to find the exact quote that I said to my buddy Brock Dean. Shout out to that guy. He's not a he's not a competitor, future competitor, but he asked me to train him like one, which I think is just a really cool thing. But he uh, 
definitely has the intensity down. The form was okay, but the tempo was just a very foreign concept to him because he played D1 football. So he's used to explosive. That's what they need for that sport. So one thing I said to him a week ago kind of changed the every training video that I've had since then in really good ways. I said, stop taking pride in how fast you can move a weight and how much you can move. Take pride in how much pain you can push yourself uh, through with every single set that you do. And once again, I couldn't find the messages, but he sent something back along the lines of, wow, that has trained my, that has changed my entire perception of training. Um, do you guys have anything you say to clients when they're doing uh, a specific thing? I'll, I guess I'll say wrong or not according to how you want them to do it. That reframes training either with that issue or in general for them. Do you guys have any hot quotes? Well, so before we get into that, then I want to ask all of you, when you're watching training, right? Because like, um, Ben, I know you work with Sasha. Um, and so like, we all have some newer individuals who maybe like, they want to be first time competitors. Maybe they just want to be better individuals overall, or maybe they are like national level competitors. Right. And I mean, I get videos from pros where I'm like, dude, your training sucks. And it's like, I'm glad you're sending it to me. This is horrible. So I'm glad you made it this far because there's still a lot of room to improve. Um, but what is the first thing that you guys look for, right? So are you looking as you touched on Jensen, like, or it's like, are you guys, we need to control the weight? Are you like, are, is it, I want effort? Um, are you looking at like, are, are we taking things to failure? What is the first thing that you guys look for in training videos? And I say, I guess like, that's the one I need to touch on, right? Because there's that huge debate recently of like, well, I don't know who said it. Someone was like, you can do things like Kasim from N1 and not train a failure and you're not going to grow. Or you could do them, you know, like the dude at LA Fitness who has no idea what he's doing, take it to failure and you're going to grow. And then you could do it like Kasim and take it to failure and you're really going to grow, right? So where do you guys align where it's like, do you want to teach that individual failure first? Do you want to teach them proper mechanics first? I'm sure we all would agree. We're in the same thought of like, well, I don't want the form to be so sloppy that you're going to come down and blow out your ACL on the bottom of a hack squat. Right. But what's the first thing that you guys are, I guess, assessing or looking for? <clears throat> I would think uh, probably execution first. I mean, Sure, you're not going to grow a whole lot if you're not training to failure, but I think the main thing in the beginning is just safety, just to make sure that they're okay, they're not going to hurt themselves, because we're not going to grow at all if we're injured. Because, um, yeah, I mean, once you get the form down, you get the execution, tempo, all that, then you can start adding weight or increasing intensity, stuff like that. And also, I personally believe if you take an individual that's training um, subpar, really sloppy, not connecting, and you switch it to where they're connecting and they're actually using the muscles they're intending to, you could probably progress just from that, even if they're not doing failure sets yet or don't know what that is. Because it's just correcting the form so much to where it's so direct that it's a new stimulus and they're going to grow just off of that. And then once that stops, then you're like, okay, you're being a pussy. We need to do four more reps here. Like, you got to keep going. But for sure, make sure they're safe and they're doing it correctly first, and then you can start building on top of that. You gotta, you gotta learn how to throw a punch before you step in the ring, right? With uh, with any professional boxer, so you gotta make sure that you know you at least have some type of understanding of what you're doing 
before you put yourself in a position where that safety could be compromised and like John was saying, blow out an ACL at the bottom of a hack squad or something like that. Um, one thing I do like to do is uh, first things first is obviously focusing on execution. Once we get that down, I'll take them to the point where their form breaks down. And as soon as their form breaks down, like you, you stop that movement right there, even if it may be like two reps away from actual muscle, like mechanical failure. Um, well, I'm sorry, muscle, like whatever. Yeah. Muscular failure. Yeah. Muscular I got you. Failure. There you go. Um, yeah. As soon as you, I, I don't want you to take it to that point just yet until you get this movement pattern down until you build the habit of like actually performing this movement. I don't want you to start building those bad habits of like swinging the weight up to get an extra rep or anything like that. Let's just stop like three reps shy of muscular failure, take it to mechanical failure. And eventually, hopefully that point between muscular failure and mechanical failure, just that gap sort of closes mm -hmm. and you could get like maybe one rep away from uh, muscular failure, but you're still uh, hitting mechanical failure. We should probably define those terms for people listening too, um, both because newbies aren't going to have any idea what the difference is and because advanced people tend to define them quite differently. How I tend to define, um, I, I usually just say form failure. So if I have someone who's new, I don't trust them to go super hard. I'm going to take them, like you said, to the point where their form starts to break down. I'm like, cool, stop the set there. Once they get a little more advanced and if it's on the right movement, um, then I allow them to go more towards what people tend to lately be calling muscular failure. I would say muscular failure with a given weight is probably, if you could put that into a shorter term, might be a better way to put it. Because, I mean, how would you define even true muscular failure in general? You can keep doing drop sets until you literally can't move your arm up at all. So, like, for lateral raises, that's the only thing that I think I really maybe take every uh, take my sets to true quote-unquote muscular failure with because I'll do the prime lateral raise, do like a triple drop set on there, rest pause after the last, after the last drop, then I'll go over to the dumbbell lateral raises and do like a triple drop set there right after the prime thing and because the resistance profile is it's like harder for different parts of the movement, um, I'll do that and then rest pause at the end and then I will literally, I'll grab my, my this blue sweatshirt most of the time is what I'm using and I'll pull on it to like still have a little bit of resistance with just raising my arms. And then after that, if I'm doing this whole death set or whatever you want to call it, I literally can't even raise my arms. That's the only time that I really think I've been taking things to true muscular failure. But the middle point that I think most people are referring to is muscular failure. I would say is muscular failure with a given weight. So you're doing as many clean reps as you can then you're either doing a few, uh, par usually par I would say partials after that until you can't really do any noticeable part of a partial. I would say that that's muscular failure with a given weight. And then true muscular failure would, I, would be what I described with a crazy lateral raise thing that I do. Do you guys agree with that, at least for the purpose of this discussion? Yeah. yeah. And, and so like, then my next question, and it kind of ties into what you asked or said, Jensen, is, um, you know, like, what cues are you using? So, um, you know, we all, again, probably have that wide, broad spectrum of individuals we work with from that soccer mom to a little bit more advanced individual who maybe, you know, um, what cues are you guys using then for failure once you have, I would say, I guess, the mechanics down? where you, you think that that individual, 
because I've had those individuals where I'm like, oh man, for the last four weeks, you've been using 25 pounds on your incline dumbbell press, telling me that you're taking this to failure with 30 reps. What are you guys using, you know, um, there? You can go ahead, Tom. Or so based, oh, you want to go, Ben? No, no, you're good. Okay, cool. So for those individuals, there's some people um, I have on my roster who it's like, it's a little bit harder to get them to take that to failure. And for some individuals, you just have to adjust volume for them because it's not going to happen. Like yeah. you're not there in there with them in person. They're just not going to help like that. So you may just have to give them a little bit of extra volume. Is that my preferred method of doing it? Absolutely not. I'd rather uh, just make each set a little bit more efficient than throwing in unnecessary volume here and there. Um, but for, for the most part, what I like to tell them to do is, Hey, you know, like say it's a, say it's a leg press. I'm, uh, I'll just tell them, Hey, this week do it on the horizontal leg press. It's something not as scary. You know, when you have like a thousand pounds coming down on you for a person who's just getting into it, it may not necessarily be, um, something that they're looking forward to. So I may just say, Hey, do it on a horizontal leg press this week. And I want you to just not pause at the top. Like literally do the entire set without taking a single pause at the, the, the <coughs> movement and resting. And as soon as you can't do another, just stop. And then next week, do an extra. Next week, do an extra. And eventually they'll reach failure if they just keep progressive overloading that way. Um, or they'll become Ronnie Coleman. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. I, I, liked, uh, I liked what you said about like you'll change the exercise to make it a little bit less daunting of something to go to failure with. I've done that a little bit with my clients where – in the beginning, everyone's going to have some type of tricep push down just because it's so basic, so easy to do. You can do it at every gym. And I feel like that one's just one of the ones that I tend to use where I'll really look at the end of the set. And I'm like, all right, if your set didn't end with a rep that was either a partial or form breakdown or so incredibly slow that you couldn't have even done any noticeable partial with the next rep then you did a pretty good job. But if people are still flying through reps where they're like eccentric, concentric, eccentric, concentric, and then they stop the set with a pace like that, I'm like, dude, you had like four plus more reps left. And this yeah. is a safe thing to take it to failure on. Like next week, if you send me a video where that last rep wasn't incredibly slow, you didn't do your job. So that's one thing I've started doing a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think that's a great cue, like uh, rep speed, right? So I'll, I'll literally tell people like, dude, your last rep should not look like your first rep. And they'll be like, well, what do you mean, right? Like you, you told me and, then, and I counted to eight. That was failure. And I'll say, okay, well, if I were to tell you to do eight sprints, would the eighth one be as fast as the first one? And I feel like that clicks pretty quick, right? Um, but something that was made very clear to me when I was uh, being mentored under Jansen, and I would say – well, you know, we all probably have maybe our feelings about um, some of the philosophies and stuff. I would say one of the things that we all can appreciate with Jansen would probably be his training, right? Um, and the one thing that he described this to me was like, we can only ask of our athletes what they truly know. So if they don't know failure, it's your job to teach it to them, Right. Now, we can all do that in the gym, right? I could go in there with Ben, and Ben's going to sit there and yell at me until I can't pick the weight up off me. But if Ben is not there to yell at me, then how is he going to teach that to me? And the one thing that he told me, he was like, listen, take them. And if you guys all know, like, what a Wingate sprint is on the bike, 
put them on the bike and have them understand that feeling and tell them and I'll send them a video. And if they don't look like they're about to fall off the bike after they're done gasping for air, they don't understand what failure is. And I'll make them send that over and over again. He's like, now if they don't have the bike, then have them go and find the biggest hill near them and sprint up that hill until they cannot move their legs anymore. That's sad. And then tell them, that's the feeling you should feel when you're finishing a set. You should feel like you literally cannot move. And I was like, damn. Okay. Yeah. That clicks pretty quick. Like you shouldn't be able to move. Right. And I was like, something about that just connected really simply. So I think if we can just break terms down as easily as possible, especially for those newer individuals who maybe don't have like, you know, our training experience in the gym, I think that's like huge almost. All right. Soccer moms, Wingate sprints for all of you. Well then, so like, that's another question then, right? So as much as we all love progressive overload, I know for a fact, Ben's not telling the soccer mom to go and take things to failure, right? So like, how do you guys go about approaching different ones within each athlete, I guess, or individual that you work with, right? And what's the approach that you're using for, for Stacy, the soccer mom versus Ben, the, you know, men's physique pro? Ah, man, that's, that's a loaded one. I mean, <laughs> Uh, I mean, if it's a lifestyle client that really focused on weight loss, muscular failure really doesn't matter a whole lot. If they're moving, burning calories, you know, training safely and properly, sure. But they can really leave like a good bit of reps out of the tank and be fine. They'll reach that goal. Um, but if it's someone like that, probably just give them more volume, like Tom was saying, with someone who doesn't really understand how to go all the way. Um, and it's, you know, training in that aspect is, you don't really need to be quite as anal, uh, with form and technique and, and tempo. If their goal is weight loss, um, you want them to be safe. Of course, if it's a back squat, like you want to make sure they're doing it right. But yeah, I mean, if it's someone just trying to lose weight, it's more really just movement, energy expenditure, stuff like that. And then, you know, if you have a client who's getting ready for a competition, then we start diving into the stuff that we've been talking about um, with, you know, perfect execution and, and learning how to be as intense as you need to be. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, <laughs> did that spark any ideas? Yeah, I was going to say, before we get into, um, <clears throat> into it here with at the end of prep, how you might drop volume intensity intense fires etc before we even get into that let's start with more of like the growth that you would give a type of that client before you would toss them into a prep or anything what are some of the what are your guys's favorite intensifiers how high is too high for volume and like what are some of the craziest things that you've seen because tom i actually want you to answer this one first because that story that you told me when you were training with uh Pukulski that one day sounds absolutely insane and i wanted you to talk about it so talk about it <laughs> so this this man is probably like the hardest um trainer i've ever seen in my life like all, all due respect i've never seen anyone um take a set of like nine plates of hack squats to like absolute failure with like six second eccentrics to a set of lying hamstring curls to a set of leg extensions to a set of like eight plate leg presses 
to a set of like vertical leg presses and then do that for like 10 rounds and that'll be the entire this is a giant set this is a giant set yeah no it's not oh, just shit. Set. yeah it's a, a giant set he'll come in at like 5 a.m in the morning um probably um yeah i'm not i'm not even gonna go there but uh, uh 5 a.m in the morning and just do crazy giant sets and just absolutely um murdered me one day and i couldn't walk for like a week so that was, <laughs> that was my experience did you see god what's up did you see god oh yeah oh, i saw i saw way more than god bro i was <laughs> <laughs> tom platz was like <laughs> lightning rod and just stabbing my quads over and over again while B yeah. was slapping my vastus lateralis, just saying, give me one more rep. And this is when I first got into bodybuilding. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> that's, that's, if this is what it takes, I'm out. I'm sorry. This is not what it's not. <laughs> This is not what it looks like in C-Bone videos. <laughs> we gotta we gotta use that to to put out a promo for this. That was perfect. Right there. That, that's that's tough to top, dude. I mean, that's has anyone yeah. heard of anything crazier or been through anything crazier than that? No, that's absolutely ridiculous. No, especially with volume, that's the craziest. One thing that I used to do that was not that cool and not as in, not not as intense, but in a shorter term was, was crazy intense. Is there was times when I was I want to say I was probably twenty, so I was even newer to powerlifting at this point. So I think my max squat was like maybe five hundred or so. But there was one day where I did a giant set but it was just with one bar and i had people help me take the weights off where i did low bar squats to failure with like 455 took about 30 seconds rest while people took off the 25s then i did 405s high bar squats to failure and then people took off a 45 and then i did 315 for front squats to failure and then waited a little bit and then went back to high bar back squats with 225 to failure and then took off the belt and did 135 front squats to failure. And I think it took about six and a half minutes total. And uh, my CNS <coughs> so tanked. It wasn't even a muscular thing. My CNS was so tanked that I couldn't train legs with any real strength for like 10 days and i didn't even feel normal just as a person for about three days after that it was don't do that guys don't do that yeah it's like you think it looks cool and stuff but it's just it's really not that effective it really doesn't even get you much stronger or that much bigger to do things like that um that that's actually one thing i'd love to go talk about is I will say though, I think doing crazy shit like that, like like you just said, or like what you know, even to me, doing like Ben talked about, like I think on our first podcast, that like a set of like a hundred, it tests your mental fortitude. Yeah, yeah. And and that if you want someone who like, like they're like just can't grasp failure, and you're like, listen, you're gonna go and do a widowmaker set on the leg press with fucking one plate. I don't care. I want you to get a hundred reps. You don't fucking set the weight down until you get a hundred reps. Like mental fortitude, that will make someone nut up really quick. Yeah. And I, that's a way, way better way to do what 20-year-old Jensen was trying to do with that set, by the way, guys. If anyone was inspired, even though I said not to do that, 
do the Widowmaker set instead. You're more locked in, so you can actually focus more on your quads or your ass or whatever you're trying to work with that. Um, you can take it to failure a billion times more safely. You don't have to have people help you take off the weights necessarily. It's a way better way to do it. I think Widowmaker, honestly, is probably the best thing to just brutalize someone into understanding just how hard leg training not only can be, but should be most of the time once you've made it past the newbie stages, I'll say. And maybe it's not like directly like building muscle that set per se may just be causing way more fatigue than it's worth. But as far as like testing that mental fortitude, it makes everything else you're doing feel so much easier that it could just have that indirect correlation with just like making you grow over the long term. If you continually test yourself, I don't want to go David Goggins right now, but callous your mind. He uses that kind of saying yeah. where it's like, you know, you, you sort of like, when you when you have a callus on your hand, it's like that that skin is getting torn down, but it builds back a little bit stronger. Just the same thing with your mind. If you do something really hard, it's going to make everything else feel a little bit easier, per se. Yeah. What, what sports did you guys come from? Just one thing. I want to I want to see something. What sports did you guys take most seriously before you got into bodybuilding? I went to school on a hockey scholarship, actually. That's right. Football. Yeah. Football. Okay. I feel like, um, so I, I did swimming was the one I took most seriously. I did cross country for a little bit, tried out a bunch of other stuff, but swimming was my main one. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, it's, well, it's a little, it's a little so before I hype up swimming and say, oh my God, you know, my main point was the training was so hard with swimming because you're breathing hard. You have the metabolic stress buildup burn from at the same time and it's for hours and hours and you're staring at a black line at the bottom of the pool while you're doing this it's not even cool where you get to like talk to your friends or like at least look over at them too much while you're running like it just sucks so that's why i'm psychotic of course but i was gonna make fun of myself and say it's also really sus that you know i did the one sport where you can wear a speedo and have to shave your whole body just to change to a different sport where you have to wear a speedo and shave your whole body so if anyone wanted you know to make fun of me just go just go to that. Like, you don't need to attack the other shit. Just go to that. It's so easy for you to make fun of me. I never wow. thought of that, but that's very true. Yeah. But no, it's fucking hard, dude. You put me, I mean, I'm a little bigger now, but I can fucking run super well. Especially this way. You just start to sink. He's not, yeah. he's not, ben it's definitely hard. So that's I, that's I, like I, when I, Justin Shire was talking about, like, uh, him in Hawaii or whatever, like getting dragged out into the ocean and having a panic attack because he was like his first time he ever touched 250 or something. It was like the time he was on his honeymoon after getting married in Hawaii and he got dragged out by what is that? Yeah. Um, Riptide. He was like, my wife which went by on a boat and he's like trying to flag her down. So I was like, I can't swim. Someone come get me. He's like freaking out. And they had to get like the lifeguard and drag him back in. The uh, like, fuck my job. This is this dude is a mammoth. Yeah. <laughs> that happened to Connor too, actually. He I can't remember where they went, but they went somewhere like tropical and they, they went scuba diving and it took him a long time to get the hang of it because he just kept sinking. <laughs> Fuck water. I would say if any of you guys go swimming, I would start off by using like the long flippers because you just kick it once and it just kind of like does this weird. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I can do that with my hand. That's cool. I would try that, and uh, it, it'll make it a lot easier to stay afloat if you're if you're two fifty plus, or even if you're just like a ridiculously dense whatever Tom is either. But I can also just give you. Know, I always give all of MI forty free swimming lessons at some point. We'll make a whole party of it. You know, 
Let's do it. Let's do it in winter because I'm not going outside right now. No. It's hot. It's hot. Yeah, for those listening that aren't in Tampa right now, it is the most humid and hot thing ever. The bugs are ridiculous. You guys also get swarmed by bugs every time you step outside. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't go outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just stay inside. It's it's bad. Um, someone take us away though. Where were we talking about before before that? Um, I don't know. Where we can go to something completely different, <laughs> and I can cut out this ten we, second we period. We talked about my fucking car yesterday. Yeah, what happened with your car? Jesus, man! Was it your car or your girlfriend's? I couldn't remember. It was Alyssa's car, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> we went to the gym, worked out, and I didn't bring any food. This is a very important detail because it was a very annoying result. But yeah, I didn't bring any food, so because I, I was planning on just going home right after the gym, so. We're there, we work out, we go out to the car, try to turn it on. It doesn't fucking turn on. It doesn't stutter or anything. It just doesn't do anything. And it, it starts beeping, sending these, like, error messages and crap. I was talking about, like, faulty brakes, like, driver door malfunction. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this thing? And um, the key was acting weird. It wouldn't lock. So we were like, ah, maybe it's the key. So we went, we walked down to the Walmart down the street, got a new battery for the key, Put it in there, went back, tried it again, still didn't work. So it wasn't the fucking key. We walked all the way there, and I swept my ass off for nothing. So it wasn't that. <clears throat> so then we're like, okay, it's probably the battery. So we go inside. I'm trying to find jumper cables because I have some in my car, but we took her car. So we don't have the jumper cables. So I'm like, shit. We ask everybody. Nobody has fucking jumper cables. Andre's working the desk. So um, I borrowed his car to drive to AutoZone bought jumper cables, came back, we jumped the car with Andre's car, which was the battery. Um, Then I took the car back to the AutoZone I just went to, all while I haven't eaten my post-workout yet, so I'm fucking starving and sweating my ass off. Um, So I take it back to AutoZone, and then we're like, okay, we need a battery. So we get a battery. And, you know, they do free installation or whatever, so the guy comes out. He can't get the fucking old battery out of the car. So I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't fucking know. I don't know cars. I don't know shit about cars. I don't know. He was trying to tell me um, that there was like a bolt or something behind the battery that you can't reach unless you take the car apart. And I'm like, are you fucking me right now? Like, I have to take this in just so they can get the battery out. So that's what we're thinking. <clears throat> and... Um, so we go inside, we're, we go inside because it's actually air conditioned inside, obviously. So we're trying to figure it out. And somebody else who was working there, this one lady, mind you, six months pregnant, this woman, she's six months pregnant. And like, hey, like, can I help you? What's wrong? Um, did I go out there or did that work? I... You're good now. Okay. Um, she's like, what's wrong? And then we explain it and she's like, ah, let me take a look. Because um, she thought she could maybe do it. So she comes out. And she can get the battery out. She's like, I can get it out. I know what to do here. Like, just hold on. I'll get it out. Because the other guy was kind of young. I think he was new. Um, so she comes out, gets the battery out. She finally gets it in there. Um, and, dude, she's literally, like, six months pregnant and just did it. And I'm like, thank God you got the battery in there. So it worked. But before that, we I forgot this detail. We tried jumping the car with another car at the, at the auto zone because we were like, okay, can't get the old one out jump me again so I can get home. It wouldn't start when we tried jumping it again. So I'm like, oh my God. So that added stress to it, but then she ended up getting it out and fixing it. Um, 
But yeah, yeah. That, that was rough. That's the best. And uh, I had something similar happen, and I'll, I, I have a tip for you. There are basically jumper cables that are attached to a battery that it's like literally combined with the jumper cable. So you can jumpstart your own car. All you have to do is play. I think it's, I think it was only about 150 bucks or so at, at our yeah. local Walmart. It's like between 150 and 250. Um, you just plug it into the, like the right things. You don't need to plug it onto another car. You make sure that the actual box that has a battery is not sitting directly on anything that you plugged it into or anything conductive. Um, and the cables are long enough that you can easily do that. And if it's fully charged, you just push a button and then it'll tell you if it works and then you remove it all and try it. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a lifesaver. So I'll get one of those for the car that doesn't have the jumper cables, but shout out to Andre. We love you for that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He's the man. He's the man. Everyone at MI40 is, is awesome. By the way, you should probably thank Amanda at some point. So thank you. Amanda. 100% a lie. Yeah, we should, we should definitely thank uh, not just all the best workers, but also Amanda for just making MI40 such a welcoming, awesome place. And thank you for letting us do this podcast uh, since it's, you know, meatheads on Gray Street, so it's kind of related to that. Uh, also, I remember what we were going to talk about before. Uh, I wanted to go into when you guys have – we'll keep it to prep people for right now because lifestyle client is probably isn't nearly as much of a concern for reasons that we already went through. But when you have a prep client, how do you guys go about um, – do you drop number of working sets – do you drop intensifiers? How do you go about that? Is it based on how far out they are? Is it based on training videos? All that stuff. Someone someone, give me your take on it. So I base a lot of that. Again, this is so individualistic, right? Because like I have a lot of first time prep clients. Like I've only had two people who have actually been in a prep this year mm -hmm. out of all the people I've prepped, right? And I put three people on stage this past weekend. Mm -hmm. So... I'm not looking at, it, to be completely honest, and this is not a, a knock at any of them, but a lot of them will come to you, right? And they're like, oh, I'm tired. My numbers went down in the gym. And, and we're like, we'll just say eight weeks out. And I'm like, dude, we're getting to that point. But like, I, I would say a lot of it has to do with like, blindness is great. So if you think that you're tired and you go into the gym, and you're like, fuck, this is heavy today. Well, then it's going to be fucking heavy, whether you are actually depleted or not. And I don't think that most of those individuals are able to give accurate feedback, right? Of like, oh, man, like I'm actually tired and depleted and I feel beat up or whatever the case. And again, like this is not a knock on anyone because I know my first prep, I couldn't give, give you accurate feedback as to like, should my strength be going down at this, this point out, right? Um now, if I have a little bit more advanced individual and they're telling me at like, you know, eight, six, six weeks out, like, hey, my top set on my hammer press is going down, then I'll be like, okay, assess it again next week. And if it continues, then I'll pull an intensifier, right? Like, hey, we don't have, and the way that I look at this is an intensifier we all know is to push past failure. And I'm looking at this as we don't have the recovery needs to be there to go past an already set failure point. So instead of pulling down the total, I guess, amount of work, I'll just decrease you going past an absolute failure. And then from there, I typically notice that then we can progress again until, you know, maybe one or two more weeks. And then if they have that happen again from there, then that's when I'll start pulling down 
the total volume. And I always use this as an example. So like for my, um, when I won my pro card at about 10 weeks out, I started like backsliding and my sets were really fucking with me. And I was like, ah, oh, man, what's going on here? Like I'm way too far out to be losing strength. I'm still eating good. I have refeeds, whatever. Um, and it was literally just like, dude, you're not going in focused, right? Like, yeah, the food's low, but it's not low to the point where you should be backsliding in your training yet. And then, so like, just to reassure myself, I talked to Ben Chow and I talked to Nick Gloff and they're like, yeah, well, you need to do what you need to do to continue it progressing. Um, but I think I started that prep at a total of like, we'll say maybe eight exercise or eight sets. And I finished the actual prep with four working sets on chest day. And I think that a lot of people, and, and this is the most common thing that we all see, right? Is like you get into a prep and then you're like, oh, well, my top set went. So I need to do more to make up for the fact that I couldn't. When that's literally already your body telling you, dude, you don't have the recovery needs to be able to do more. So you're just digging a deeper hole. And then each week you went from maybe doing two sets to then we know by the end of prep, they're like a volume trainer now, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, you went from doing, dude, we were doing two sets on the hammer strength and now you're doing five sets because you, you just can't keep up with you doing your top loading. And it's like, well, what, what got you to the dance is what's going to, you know, keep you there. What built that tissue and understanding that when you're in prep, you're not aiming to build muscle. We're just trying to stimulate, not annihilate and get the fuck out of the gym. We want enough there for your body to go, okay, we need recovery demand. So the food needs to go here. Let's eat away at the fat, not vice versa. Right. And people get so lost that they're like, oh, well, I'm not strong. So I'm going to lower the load and just really change the, or chase the pump. And it's like, well, fuck. And that's where we'll actually see when someone's in a big, of a big enough of a deficit, they'll lose tissue, right? I'm sure we've all seen it because they're like, I don't want to train heavy anymore. I'm tired. And when your body's like, well, okay, fuck. I mean, if, if you're not going to stimulate that muscle, then it doesn't need to recover. Let's just eat away at that. It doesn't want to eat away body fat. Like we all know getting uncomfortably fucking lean is not right. Yeah. So it's, it's not fucking easy. And you gotta do the uncomfortable shit whether you want to or not like and it just that's just bodybuilding in general right like this is never gonna be fucking comfortable i know for a fact all of us are tired of fucking food but that's part of it and my my wife literally yesterday when we got back she was like you need to consider if you really want to do this and i was like what the fuck does that mean she's like well you've been complaining for the last six months you're fucking miserable and i was like i'm not miserable i'm just always full and she's like well then shut up like what's the problem you're the one who chose this and i was like that's that's good. And I was like, "Fuck me!" Well, I'm gonna go shower by myself now, then, and cry. I don't want to hear you anymore. I like that. She pushed yeah. me. Nice. She played into me. I was like, "What the fuck?" I was like, "Are you telling me I shouldn't move up to classic?" And she's like, "I'm not saying that, but you need to decide if you actually want this." And I was like, "Oh, yeah." I was like, "Wow." Yeah. All right. Yeah. Girl. Two hours later, I was sitting laying on the turf crying to Ben how I'm about to throw up because I took too much caffeine. And so she's just like getting annoyed constantly by me complaining. And I was like, uh, that's yeah. in prep. I'm, I'm pretty okay in the off season with like handling the uncomfortable shit, but I'm a little bit of a big prep. I still do everything I need to, but I, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I prefer prep. 
I just went on a tangent there. What's everyone's thoughts on that going into prep? So, dieting. Uh, well, I guess I'll go. So volume, honestly, is something that I'll drive up a little bit higher towards the start of prep when things are starting to fire on like all different cylinders. People are starting to lose a little bit of, um, you know, they're losing some of that bloat, some of that uh, lethargy that they're having. I feel like at that point, just because you're in a deficit does not mean that you can't still have productive training, especially if you're at the highest body fat percentage you've been all year, uh, peak off season coming into prep and you still have all that energy reserves. I don't see there's any reason why at the start of prep, maybe you should be pulling back volume. Obviously it's individual depending on talking about um, in a perfect scenario. Um, and towards the middle of prep, that's when I'll start to look at some things to manage fatigue, whether we start to do uh, three days off or do a deep volume or something like that, just to manage fatigue just a little bit more. Um, also, cardio is something that you can also do to manage fatigue, maybe pulling cardio on leg days. Someone has um, smaller legs, you're gonna be a body part that goes pretty quickly on prep. So just removing legs, um, cardio on those leg days may be a little bit more beneficial. And towards the back end of prep, probably pull volume down just a little bit. But again, um, it depends on the client because some clients do lean into volume and like to lean into volume too. Um, and I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that as long as they have like some type of comprehension and have been doing that in the off season as well. It's not something that we're just going to be throwing in at the end of prep and uh, hoping like just driving up volume, create some type of random stimulus and response that is not predictable. Um, but for the most part, we'll, we'll probably pull volume down a little bit lower and lean into more intensity techniques. And obviously on prep, your deadlift is not going to be as high as it is in the off season. It's going to drop off and pressing is also something that's going to be dropping off uh, pretty quickly too at, at the end of prep. So I don't really micromanage the logbook as much as I may, may do in the off season because it's also visual feedback, how the person's feeling and all these different things. If we just sort of um, pigeonhole ourselves, I guess, into focusing solely on like numbers and maintaining that um, gym performance in terms of like load and numbers, uh, you may just be missing the whole po point entirely in like the big picture of what's going on. So you really have to take a whole look at like well, the big picture and see what is the right move to make. Yeah, really quick. We got to talk on that after this. Um, and, you know, because I know we've been on for a minute, but we got to talk about that and everyone's philosophy here on kind of like log booking, progressive overload. And, and like, do you think, are, are you guys big sticklers in that and where's um, that? But yeah, we have to touch on that before we wrap this up. Go ahead. <laughs> Me, I was, uh, one thing I was just going to say, Tom, I really like how you said you'll up the volume a little bit before they get in, uh, really deep into the prep because you got to have somewhere to go. Um, like one thing that's common in powerlifting is they'll do like volume phases and strength phases. And the idea is that, you know, you'll probably have less working sets, but be pushing harder on the strength phases or whatever, but having a volume set before that, so you kind of have somewhere that you can go down and building your uh, work capacity is what they call it in powerlifting, I think can be nice, but for different reasons, I think that works pretty well in bodybuilding. Another thing that made me think of too, is a lot of people when they start prep or when they Instagram official start prep. That's also when they're up in their PDs. So there's a few different things. I just wanted to kind of list out um, things that will allow you to train more hard or with more volume or more intense, all those things, all the things that allow you to handle more training, stress, fatigue, and stimulus. So 
if your food is higher, you can do that. So for all of off season, you should be able to progress in some way. When your PDs go up, that should allow you to progress or at least maintain for longer during a prep. So even just with those two things, even without taking in all the other accounts that we've said, you can almost set it up where the whole year you're, you're going up for the majority of the year and just maintaining or ever so slightly going down only for really short periods of time. You just have to dedicate those times where you're using food more as the avenue where you can train uh, with even more sets or even harder. Not, you should always be training hard, except you know for the last few weeks before prep, but where you can do more sets with that same amazing intensity as when you had less sets. Um, and then when you drop food, okay, at some point during the prep, maybe that's when you throw in the PDs that allow you to maintain that. So it's like, you never really want to have a long period where your training is going down no matter what. You have so many tools at your disposal to prevent that, especially if you're an enhanced person, that I, I think that's, to me, what, to, to answer the logbook question, that's, to me, like more so what it's about. I want to make sure that even if, you know, one weird exercise, maybe they learn how to feel it a lot better, but they have to go a lot slower to do it or something like that. Like, if they're, I have them report if anything isn't going up for at least two weeks, but I'll also have them send me notes like, hey, uh, my dumbbell, let's go back to that, the dumbbell RDLs, uh, you know, I've been using 75s for the last three weeks, uh, but my tempo has been slower, as you've seen in the video, and I've been able to feel my glutes throughout the whole movement more. That's okay. So I, I think logbook, if the logbook includes some of the more subjective stuff can be really cool. But when people I think we'll all agree with this, when people just blindly look at the logbook as, all right, if I do more weight with the same number of reps or more reps with the same number of weight, and I just keep building that over time, I will eventually get bigger. Yes, you will eventually get bigger. But the issue with looking at it that simplistically is um, if you're like, like John, you said the LA fitness guy, yeah, his weights go up and his reps go up, but if he doesn't know to push the tension where he actually needs it to be, then maybe, you know, he's doing bench press or something, his triceps and front delts are growing really well. But if he never learns how to connect with his chest, his chest is never going to grow really well. So it's yes to logbook. I just think it needs to maybe include more than what people typically think of it included when they say log book. Yeah. Yeah. No, and um, I, I like. I think it's so hard because at the end of the day, like, where do you define that individual? For instance, like all of us here, luckily enough, are smart enough to be able to tell you. I didn't touch the same weight that I did last week, or maybe I didn't get it for as many reps, but I created more stimulus this week. Right. So where do you, where do you trust that individual enough to be like, okay, you know, on paper, you didn't progress, but you progressed. Right. Um, and so that's where I think the logbook for most of those beginners, probably I would say like beginner to maybe starting to come into an intermediate training age probably would benefit from the logbook of looking at it simplistically, like, like you said, Jansen, or Jensen, of like, I'm we just need to. <laughs> I'm, honored you, I'm honored you even subconsciously equated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just improved the numbers and I grew, right? But then like, 
then you have us where it's like, fuck, dude, if I just keep hammering the logbook for the next year, my elbows are going to be killing me. Right. <laughs> and, and so like, it's just, that's a, it's a really tough. And that's why I wanted to hear your guys point. Cause Ben, I don't think you're a logbook person, right? No, not really. Yeah. And so, I mean, fuck. I remember the first time I saw Ben, I was like, this kid's fucking 22 years old. What the fuck? <laughs> so it's, I, I, it's, where does everyone align with that? Like, it, you know, and, and then Tom, I think you actually carry your logbook around, right? Yeah. Well, I have it on my phone now. I do 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 the app, but um, honestly with the logbook, it's been something that's been kind of a journey for me. Honestly, I used to start off um, in the beginnings being super anal about it and like, oh, if my reps aren't going up this week, then uh, I have to, <laughs> I have to switch it up. Jensen mouths the word anal. <laughs> All right, sorry. For a second, but um, I used to get coached by um, JP actually, so that's where that part comes from. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where that part comes from of like yeah. being super anal about it. And I, I've had to like switch up my kind of mindset around that uh, recently, as especially as soon as I started getting uh, knee pain, joint pain, and stuff like that. I was like, hey, look, you know, I can't just keep hammering six plates on that pendulum squat. I got to uh, be a little bit smarter with the way I approach things. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now is where, you know, maybe I'm not going up in weight or reps every single week. Um, but as long as the trends are going up over time and I'm as maximizing my form uh, and just making sure my execution is perfect, that's really what uh, matters. Because if I'm leaving a set completely pumped, you can't tell me that that set is not building muscle. If I'm leaving it dead and taking that set to complete failure too. You can't tell me that set's not building muscle just because I'm not doing as much as I did last week. Um, I think that's kind of a pigeonhole a lot of people get stuck in is like 365 for 10 on a set of bent over rows built muscle last week. There's no reason why it doesn't build at least some muscle this week. Uh, but if you're stuck at that weight for like, let's say three, four five months on end, then that's where it really becomes an issue. I, I, I just don't think that it needs to be this constant battle of every single session having to drive that number up. It's just mainly looking at trends over time and keeping track of that. And I also don't, I also think a lot of people get it the wrong way around. Uh, a lot of people think, hey, I'm going to force the, the logbook up. I'm going to force this number up and that's what's going to build muscle. When in my head, it's like, hey, you're building muscle and the, the expression of that adaptation is going to be more strength. It's not the other way around. You can't just force muscle on your body by forcing strength up, but you may get stronger as a result of building more muscle. And, and so what was the sticking point then for all of you guys that made you take that step back? Ben, I don't know if you've ever been a logbook person, but like even most recently till probably like Six months ago, when I saw Ben for the first time, I was like, dude, I'm fucking hurting like everywhere. I was like, everything fucking hurts. And I know for me, that was that sticking point where I was like, cool, I'm, I'm moving more weight every single week or every two weeks, I'll, you know, drive it out the rep range and then progress the logbook. Um, but for me, I was like, oh, fuck, I can't even think of his name. Basic Fitness on, on Instagram. You know what I'm talking about? Adam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Extremely smart dude. I was like, I've never seen anyone. I literally told him, I was like, I trained at MI40. I think I have a pretty good grasp on what the fuck I'm doing. I literally walked up to him and I was like, I've literally never seen anyone who is so controlled and precise exactly where they want to put the tension on that muscle. 
And he was like, honestly, dude, it's because I tore this. I don't have this. And I broke this. And then he was like, and um, he was like, for six months, I didn't work out. And he was like, it's very easy to take a step back and look at it. With, if someone were to tell you, you could never train again and you have to figure out how to do it. And I was like, fuck. Okay. Clearly what I'm doing is wrong. Cause I'm fucking hurting. And while progressing and moving big weight is awesome. But if I, if I can't train, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. Like, so yeah. what's the point for you guys? I mean, it's, it's tough. Like some people probably would benefit from using a log book because it just makes it easier for them to keep track of things. But personally, I mean, I don't really care to progress a tricep pushdown on a cable. I don't really care. Like if I'm connecting and I'm getting a good pump from it, like, and I'm not doing 40 reps, mind you, like, you know, if it's a decent rep range, then I don't really care to add weight to that. And the big ones like a fucking dumbbell press or deadlift or hack squat or something, I remember it anyway, because I, I like this shit. So it's in my head. So I mean, I guess technically, I'm mentally log booking, but I just don't think it's super necessary for most people to write down every single thing, what they got for reps and sets and everything. And, you know, then, you know, you get the whole subjectivity in there where you need to understand, like, how I'm doing these reps and where I'm placing the tension. So I think, honestly, if you understand how to train to failure, how to execute tempo and direct the tension where you want it to go, as long as you're like, let's say below fucking 2015 reps or, or whatever, like you're going to grow from that. Cause you know how to do the set. I think the how of the set is much more important than how many I did or how much I did. Um, you know, like I keep saying, you don't want to do 40 rep sets, but as long as it's like below 20 or even below 25, like you're going to grow from that. Cause you know how to execute it. So I think that's more important. Um, but you could, Did you, you ever have that, turning, that turning point, or were you always like that? Uh, were you ever a logbook person? <clears throat> I've I've tried to before, um, and it's just it gets to the point where it just distracts me from my workout, and I'm like getting way too involved with it. Because like with my head, I like to take things all the way. Like I'm a very all or nothing person. So if I'm gonna logbook, I want to do everything. I want to do it perfectly. I want to make sure I remember exactly how many reps I got. And it just sort of, for me, it's more distracting than helpful. And um, I think that's probably going to be the situation with a lot of people. But there's definitely people that can benefit from it. It really just depends. Like, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. For me, it's just not super necessary. And for all you who don't train at MI40, Ben is a serial killer. He does not work out with headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um. With, with me, I'm definitely, I think I'm somewhere between Tom and Ben, probably more towards Ben's size at this point. I kind of go back and forth a little bit. Um, when I'm able to progress reps and weight more consistently, so maybe, you know, run on a decent cycle and bulking and digestion's great and sleep is great and life stress is low, things of that nature where, like, you can progress super consistently in noticeable ways, I might check the logbook more because I might just get a nice little dopamine hit when I look at it. But I have a logbook, but I only have it for my top sets, and I purposely do not look at it every workout, even though I'm pretty darn consistent with choosing similar exercises, unless the gym is super crazy or something, because I don't want to have that itch in the back of my head every time that I'm training that I have to do more than last time, especially if so someone... You don't, follow, you don't even do the same exercises every time you're in the gym. 
Not not always, but I try to. But if it's busy, like I'll change it up. Or if I'm working out, like I worked out with Ben the other day, like we changed up some stuff and it was fun. Yeah. But going back to the training with Ben thing, because I don't I don't have a super super strong opinion on the logbook. You guys kind of already covered everything that I was thinking. Um, there is any so I want to have Adam Besick on the show at some point. By the way, shout out shout out to that guy. Um, and you're talking about John. You're talking about how you went up to him. You're just like, dude, you can feel everything exactly where you want. I've never seen anything. And like you can that. see it. It's fucking nuts, dude. Like I, I watch him train, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I can like see his glute meets contract because he is he is men's wellness. He is <laughs> before before I knew Adam, I knew him as the guy with huge glutes on Instagram because Kara sent me a video of him, and then like a week later, I saw him. Yeah, yeah. I had the weirdest first conversation ever with him. I was like talking to him. The video that has like 5 million views or something, right? Of him like squatting and everyone's like, what the fuck? I think he was doing RDLs and I was just like, I thought he had like something in his shorts. And then I was like, oh no, he's just actually that caked up. That's crazy. Like (laughs) I hope he has like 300 female clients that are just like, (laughs) because why would you not go to him for that? But one thing that we saw from him, or sorry, that me and Ben saw when we were working out together that relates to that, Nick Walker recently went on like a little tangent where he's talking about like, bro, if you can't use 100 pound dumbbells on incline or less to grow your chest, you probably just suck at doing incline dumbbell. Adding on to that, Ben and I, Ben, I didn't count his reps. I didn't watch the YouTube video, but Lunsford was using 52 and a half kilogram dumbbells which is what I was using, which is a lot less than what Ben was using. And it height definitely comes into play a little bit here. Taller guys probably will end up needing to use more weight, but still. So he's using about 117-ish pounds. And anyone who knows anything about bodybuilding knows he is huge. He is bubbly, but somehow still very dense looking. Like if he can use that little amount of weight to stimulate his chest fully, get an insane pump, continue growing i mean that just says something about how much the applying attention to the right places really works and how it absolutely limit how much weight you can do if you very quickly get good at that you know you're not going to be able to use as much weight if you're able to super pinpoint what you're trying to use because by definition you'll only be using not only you'll mostly be using that so well you could this is kind of like a dull statement but if you have 60 pounds and you're trying to hit your pecs, yeah. some of that's going to go to your triceps, some's going to go to your shoulders, whatever, other surrounding muscles. But, okay, it's 60 pounds. I moved it, but how much of it is on my chest? So if you can take 40 and get 38 pounds of it on your chest, but if you're doing 60s and only 30 pounds of it is on your chest, then it doesn't fucking matter how heavy the actual dumbbell is. That dumbbell is not a part of you. You have to understand how to make it a part of you to be able to create the tension in the spot that you're trying to grow. So it doesn't matter what the actual weight is, how much of that is going into the specific muscle. So with Lunsford, he's using less weight, but he's getting most of it where he wants Every it. Every fucking bit of it, right? Like, yeah. and, I, and, and to comment on that, I think that's truly where the problem comes with the logbook because then people get obsessive like Tom was talking about with, with like JP's thought process. And they're like, how can I leverage this lift and i put made a story about this talking about it like how can i make this lift as easy as possible leveraging it to move it maximal amount of weight rather than like how can i just use 135 and destroy the muscle i'm trying to Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. 
No one wants – and let's be honest, dude. No, None of us, even us, we don't want to be the guy in the gym who's like incline pressing 135 and just screaming their head off because they're stimulating like crazy. Like we're all going to look at you like you're an idiot. But I would love to be able to do that. I would and love to do. be able to – what? I said, and we do. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and that was the thing that made me so interested in seeing Adam because I was like, this guy's – doing like half of the load and i can see like his biceps about to rip off of his freaking arm there yeah yeah i think you know when you really learn how to connect that's when you really start growing um i probably train the lightest aside from a few things i probably train the lightest i have since i've started competing i was probably my strongest when i was like 20 to 22 or something and then after that shit started hurting right like i'm still yeah. obviously but like you keep going you keep pushing the weight it fucking hurts and it's like well i can't do this because my shoulder hurts my elbow hurts but as soon as i started understanding how to use the weights properly and sort of reach that level of um i don't know directed tension uh that's when i really started to grow and develop and it's when i started stopping caring about how much i'm using and how i'm doing it um, yeah, there is a balance. That, that's just huge. Oh, there is a balance to strike, though. If you if you really think about um, who we may be talking to, our audience, uh, some people may be interpreting it as let's just take twenty pound dumbbells for a set of incline press and just squeeze the absolute fuck out of it for like ten reps. Um, yeah. And there there is a balance. Like you have to be able to move some load um, in order to create that stimulus response, but. Yeah, we do need to emphasize control and execution as well. It is like a, a fine line between like going too light to where you're just squeezing with like really no yeah. at all to yeah. the point where you're actually using some load and uh, creating a stimulus. And then you take it too far. If the person is just swinging it around like Branch Warren, <laughs> not really getting too much. No, no hate to Branch. He had a crazy physique. So crazy yeah. physique, but that would only work for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and so it's basically, like what we were saying is like what fucking every other podcast says is, well, you're basically in the exact same spot before you started listening to us that we don't know what the fuck you're doing. You just need to figure out how to work out. I might have, <laughs> I might have one thing that can frame it to people that like numbers. Um, and this comes from an old, an old coach of mine. He was explaining why he was like basically saying I was training like a pussy with single arm dumbbells. So like you got the form down, like move a little bit of weight, dude. And I was like, all right, I just wanted to keep it exactly what you said last time. He's like, I want it to be really close to exactly what I said last time. He's like, but let me write out a little math equation for you. So I just doodled a different one on my phone now that should make it pretty easy. If you're using, say, 100 pound, I'll just say dumbbell, dumbbell RDLs, whatever. You can tell who I serve client-wise, right? So if you have 100 pounds in each hand for your dumbbell RDLs, and say you're trying to hit your glute max, and you have about an eight, these are very arbitrary numbers. You have an 80% bias on your glute max with this movement. Okay, then, you know, per dumbbell, you're getting 80 pounds of net bias per rep, whatever. It's not a perfect metaphor, but you get it, right? Like 100 pounds times 0.8, so it's 80%, equals 80 pounds. Now, if you're like, all right, um, you know, my, 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 T3 in my lat insertion, you know, it just base <clears throat> a little bit. I need to tune down the form like a ton. Like you're just like, I need to drop my weight in half. And you literally drop your weight in half to 50s. 
thinking, all right, cool, I'm going to get 100% bias, I'm going to grow more muscle. Most of the time, when in doubt, do that, drop the weight. But you don't need to drop it so, so much that this happens. They drop it down to 50-pound dumbbells, okay, in each hand. And you have a 95% bias on your glute max instead of 80%. If you do the math, 50 times 0.95 for 95% is only 47.5 pounds of tension per rep and everything. So, yes, you can do more reps to make up for that and such, but there is a point where either your cardio is going to start limiting you on that set, a stabilizing muscle is going to start limiting you on that set, your ability to brace well is going to start limiting you on that set. Like, there is some threshold for you need enough weight that you can do a set in a I'll say somewhat efficient manner time-wise. Like you don't want to be doing dumbbell RDLs for like two and a half minutes. That's ridiculous. And you might actually get a little bit more in this instance that I painted out of going heavier, but still having really good bias. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, but that's kind of how I think about it. It's like there is, there's, when you're really good with form and you're really good with intensity and you're good with pairing them together, Depending on the exercise, there's going to be some balance that you have to strike to really make it most effective while still keeping it safe, you know? Yeah, I, I think in that situation to really be able to communicate with the client, you'd use a rep range, um, you know, given that you've already taught them how to train to failure and already taught them how to do the specific exercise. If you're failing at 25 reps and I gave you 12, it's way too damn light, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think that's probably the best way to communicate that with people. Yeah. I think it kind of goes also to like how far you're taking the set too. Um, yeah. Like yeah. if there's, you know, if they're newer, they, they shouldn't be taking the set quite as far because they're not going to be able to keep that same bias through failure and past it as someone who's been training for a lot longer. And that, that kind of goes across all exercises, but especially the more compound exercises. And they may not yeah. really need to take it to failure to get some type of stimulus, especially if you're a beginner. Right. Um, you just need to do the bare minimum, honestly, if you're just getting those newbie gains. And you're still going to be growing, so may as well just emphasize um, execution at that point and build up and set yourself up for a long career of success rather than try to short shortchange your progress and uh, fast track it by just, you know, progressive overloading to the max. Yeah. Yep. How much time do you guys got? Because I do have one more point. Well, I have two different points I want to get into, but one's going to be about tendons and connective tissue. And I think I want to have Matt on for that one so we can have a PT kind of looking over us and double checking all the signs. Yeah. I know Tom's got to dip out of here soon. We yeah. should wrap up with like fucking something. I don't know. Just yeah. day in the life of whatever the fuck we've been doing or something. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to do a part two on training at some point. Cause I still have like a list of stuff that I could go through. Like, Hey, what's the actual, like when we're talking about all these ideas and stuff, like what's the actual stuff that we're thinking about stimulate something and, you know, metabolic swelling, the pump, metabolic buildup, the burn, mechanical tension, progressive overload and muscular damage might be in the mix, but like that should be a whole separate, should probably be a whole separate thing. Um, and, and you know like, what? Shout out to Matt, though. Fucking, you guys see that? Third yeah. place? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Talk, talk about shows. You guys that watch them a little bit more while it's taking care of you. Well, uh, our fellow MI40 and Ben's employer, Matt Chrisman, got third. Uh, what was it? The Florida State, I think? Yeah, Florida State. Florida State. He got third. Um, I know he said he was originally planning on going on to North Americans, but he said, fuck that. And he just teamed up with Dominic Cardone. So yeah. I'm really pumped to see that. That's 
Uh, I know Dom's been turning out some fucking animals lately. Um, where's everyone else? Like, I mean, so I had, you know what? I think it'd be cool. We shout out our clients. So I had a guy just take the immense physique overall, um, Carolina NPC, the guy I sent you guys. Um, fuck all of you. His right side was better. Um, and Ben, I did let him know that if he comes to Tampa, that you will gladly help um, assess his physique in person. Uh, <laughs> um, I had a natural girl take fifth in um, the Jay Cutler Classic, one of uh, KD's clothes in Richmond, Virginia. Um, she she won the uh, won her class two weeks earlier at a natural show, and I was like, hey, uh, we we kind of need to stand next to some people who potentially may be going for a national run. So um, her class, I think, had 12 people in it. I was happy she was able to place. And then I had a figure girl who I took down 30 pounds, and she finished second in open and first in true novice. Um, so happy with that. In terms of my own progress, I'm currently falling apart. <laughs> yeah, try to go back into the gym. I think I'm going to take two more days and then, you know, hopefully be able to get back at it, um, as most of you are do or do not know I'm coached by Callum and I basically just sent my check and I was like, yeah, you know, I know you're not going to change anything. Just fucking follow the plan. Got it. Um, yeah. Where, where's everyone else at? Where are you guys at with, you know, your weeks shows th where are you thinking you're going to compete next? Um, so I had a guy this weekend compete at, Oh God, I think it's like PA muscle or something like that. Do you guys know El yeah, yeah, I know Elias McCall? You know that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, that, he's not he's not mine, but it, it that's that show I'm talking about. I had a classic guy compete, um, Eric Sorotka. I used to um, work out with him actually when I lived in Pittsburgh, but I actually don't know how he did because some weird shit happened at the show where. He posed in novice and in uh, open classic, and from the videos, it looked like he was probably going to win novice. <laughs> he was probably going to get like either second or third in open. Um, but when he went back for the night show, um, the lady expediting was like, "Yeah, you're not in novice," and um, she was like, "Yeah, you're you're not in novice." And then she told him that he didn't place in open. But I'm very, very confused, and I don't know the, the answer to all this yet, so I'll let you know when I do. But um, for the Open, she said that he didn't place, but I'm pretty sure there were only four people in the class, so there's no way he didn't. There's only, <laughs> there's only four. So I really don't know what happened with that, but he looked really good. I was very happy with it, uh, and I'll probably post pictures today actually about it. But anyway, yeah, he's uh, did very well. He's going to be growing, and then – either trying again next year or the year after. We just have some size to put on. But um, in terms of me, I – same old shit, trying to get bigger. <laughs> um, I took um, insulin out for a little bit just to drop some water, and I definitely feel better. I'm lighter, but it's just water, so no big deal. But it still freaks you out a little bit when it goes down. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, nothing super different with me, just trying to keep growing. My – stomach is not as great as it used to be at the beginning of this so i'm trying to eat as much as i can without ruining that um never is i'm trying not to really take it too seriously like i'm doing what i need to do but i don't want to obsess about what i weigh or, or anything like that i'm just kind of doing what i got to do and just letting whatever happens happen 
because uh, at this point, I think I can confidently say I've reached my end with this off season, <laughs> this two years of shit. Like I'll do what I can to get as much as I can out of the rest of the year, but I'm really not going to stress about it because I'm just, I know that I don't have the motivation or drive to really do everything anally right now. So I'm just going to do my best and then, you know, prep next year and, and re- refresh myself. But okay. that's me. <clears throat> Sorry, really quick, Ben, where are you, uh, where are you wanting your weight to peak at? I would love to be 270. 330. But 330. <laughs> Jesus fuck. Did we, did we all see that? Samson? Yes, Sam fuck. So insane. Oh, he's all right. God. He looks okay. He's yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't impressed. <laughs> Just to put in perspective, that is literally 70 pounds bigger than me and Jensen. Huge, guys. Ben is huge and full. Like, okay, I'm not that big, but like he is 70 pounds bigger than me. That's nuts. And probably leaner. That's so funny. He's got a full hundred on me, so. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy that's crazy when you put it that way Damn. that's that's literally like that's what like a, a, a tenth no probably like an eighth grader seventh grader yeah we should take yeah. on the the olympia when that comes around yes. yeah well, yeah really well yeah we'll yeah. make that a fun one but tom what's your what's your plan how you been doing how your clients been doing so I've got my first prep client that I've taken through a full off season and prep. He's starting prep right now, uh, Paxton. Super excited. It's kind of um, easy mode right now. He's uh, his metabolism's pretty pretty wild. It's probably probably the wildest metabolism I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, it's already like ten weeks out from the hurricane, and then we're gonna do the amateur Olympia right after. And um, we we're already at that point where we're starting to pull steps away and. Uh, him like a free meal at the end of the end of the night so he's still dropping like three four pounds like a week so it's going, it's going really well right now what um, division is he doing uh classic okay so he's gonna be uh pretty pretty under that weight cap but he's already um the heaviest he's ever been um and we're we're definitely gonna be probably 10 pounds up from last stage weight he was 153 um, last time, so he's probably going to be around 163. Um, this time, I predict all no stress at all. Um, as far as me goes, I'm just getting back into the swing of things. Um, had a little bit of a medical issue, uh, non bodybuilding related. Before people are just like, "Oh, bless your grandma Tran and his kidneys are fucked." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, non bodybuilding related. So just getting back into swing of things. Um, opposite of Ben, actually, uh, me and my coach just threw um, insulin in to help me out a little bit more because I lost a decent amount of fullness over the past couple of weeks, not being really able to eat and get all my meals in and stuff. But uh, finally got back on the horse right now. It's like 800 grams of carbs. My peak was like 1,250 grams of carbs. So it's absolutely fucking. Where did your calories peak at? Uh, on the sheet, it was like 5,670, something like that. It was mm-hmm. nuts. Yeah. Was that every single day or was that? Uh, uh, so training days, it was like 5,800 and non-training days was like 5,400. So just kind of averaged out to like 5,000. Oh, so you were literally just doing two two days. It wasn't like yeah. a high, medium, low. It was like a, yeah, you're fucking day. Yeah. yeah, just training for non-training day. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. 
Yeah, that's me. What about you, Jensen? Uh, I was going to say just shout out to insulin that I don't have to eat that much anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I don't miss the like, I almost missed the 10K calories from swimming because I was hungry. But like when I was walking around being a door knocker and having to eat over 7,000 calories a day just to like maintain my weight, I don't miss that at all. So props to you for having to <laughs> bulldoze through some of that for a while. I mean, we all have to go through periods like that, but damn, I am not jealous of that. Um, let's see, as far as clients go, Kara, Kara did get a little sick after her second show. Um, she got a, she got a little not great feeling after the first show. And I was like, Hey, you're probably not doing the second one. But then two days later, she was 100% came in way better to the second show at Tampa, obviously, which I talked about in the last podcast. Um, I just, it's an exciting time for me as a coach because I have four or five different people that within the next year and a half, um, after another, you know, growth phase or two, going to take it nice and spaced out, kind of like Ben and Biz did for this last bout that they did. Not quite that long, but more than a year, year and a half time period. Um, I got one dude, Dan, who's just, I've never seen someone so responsive to everything. You give him more food, his weight goes up, he looks super full, his strength climbs through the roof. You give him less food, his training 